All right, let's try. Ah, there you go. Now I can. Yeah. <laughs> You've got How a dirty mic on, right? <laughs> right. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? <laughs> Great. I made some of those Pillsbury uh, cinnamon rolls that I'm eating on right now. Ah, uh, all right. Well, I'm sipping coffee, so it sounds like we're having a second breakfast. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you have one of those cure eggs, or did you make it old school? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Old school, honey. I have a barista uh, French press, so I do it in this French press. And the French press is also, it's metal, so it's um, insulated like a thermos. So you make a pot of coffee and it stays hot. So it's great. Oh, wow. That sounds fancy. I just got this Keurig and I got some uh, Starbucks coffees and I just stick them in there. It's strong, though. It's strong. Hello, beautiful people. My name is Jonathan Doku. Welcome to the Doku Podcast. Right now we have somebody that's very legendary in the Dallas theater community. She's helped tons of people it's hard to go to a show and not see two if not one of her students she's got students on broadway she's had students on show betty she's had students on shows like the flash miss gail cronauer hello jonathan thank you for the great introduction oh no nah. <laughs> you deserve that and more how have you been I'm doing okay. This is kind of a crazy time, but I've managed to find uh, lots of ways to keep myself busy taking uh, courses online. There's a lot of great Zoom stuff out there and uh, keeping in touch with people and getting ready to move on to whatever the next stage is. We'll see what happens. Now, you said people inspire you. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, uh, it's I think it's um, it's an interesting time now because uh, there's so much that needs to be addressed in the world around us, uh, whether it's a health issue or it's a racial issue or it's a political issue, an environmental issue. And um, now that I'm not able to get out there and do a show, direct a show, be in a play, shoot a film, uh, a lot of my work is being done on the Internet. So yes. uh I've been um, uh, reading a lot and posting a lot, and I find myself really inspired, which is what you had asked me before, by what I see people actually doing, not only thinking and feeling, but actually doing. So um, when I see something like that, I go, whoa, people need to know about this. So I post it on Facebook. I post it on Instagram. I get it out there wherever I can. So I'm really inspired by people who do things. And I suppose that's one of the reasons that I'm an actor. You know, as an actor, we get to be active. We get, we get to be activists. And sometimes it's being a warrior of the heart or the soul. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are out there being warriors in the flesh. And I have tremendous respect for them. And they inspire me. Yes. And I was thinking last night, I think the key to acting is not is doing the opposite, not acting, but actually doing, you know, like becoming, you know, that person. I think it was you. You were teaching a class one day and you were telling me, uh, you know, just go around and 
don't stalk people by any means, but just observe people's different behavior, you know, and how they act, you know? Well, you know, it's one of the things that we get to do as actors is transform, you know, and um, um, the work that I teach as an actor, we talk about uh, triplicity, polarity, and transformation, you know, one, two, three, and opposites, and uh, the ability to transform. And to me, that's what's really exciting um, about our work as actors, is that we're not always ourselves. You know, of course, it's your body, it's your voice, it's you showing up, but that you have the ability to change your form, to change your shape, to change your actions. And uh, every role that I've ever done, I've uh, learned something from it. I've changed in some way. Years ago, I did a play called Getting Out, and it was about a young girl who'd been, oh, an incorrigible as a kid. You know, she was working as a prostitute and just being violent and just a really troubled, angry young woman. And she ended up in prison and had a a kind of awakening in prison and got back out and was trying to get her life together. And um, so she could get her kid back because she'd had her kid taken away from her. And it's really challenging. So the play is about her first day out of prison and um, working on that show, I had a young son at the time. And man, I thought a lot about what it, it would have been to be separated from my own child. But also, suddenly I became so aware of people who were incarcerated or might become incarcerated. And um, that transformation that ability to walk in someone else's shoes while creating that role was um, world opening to me. In fact, the young woman who played the younger me in the play, Sandy Fish, uh, became very active in uh, prison reform. And she's still very active in that. She lives in California right now. And that play opened that up to her. Um, that's not been one of my primary passion areas, but every time that I've done a show, I've, I've made aware of something that I wasn't aware of before. And hopefully when an, an audience sees a play or a film, they have a similar experience. So. Yeah, I like that. That's a beautiful. It really but, does. You know, you know I, I just wanted to finish the thing about transformation, Jonathan, that yeah. what acting class can do, whether or not you ever act in a play or you ever act in a film, what an acting class can do is make you aware of the fact that you can transform, you can change yourself. If somebody can get up there on stage and create a character, embody a character that is different from himself, herself, then that we, as an audience person, I hope, realize that we have the ability to transform ourselves. I've always been amazed by the fact that uh, oftentimes people who come into acting classes are, are at a point in their life where they're really searching. Now, this can be for a young actor, but it can also be for somebody who's older coming to an acting class. Um, yeah, it's really... Uh... It really is about transformation, and it really does make you, you know, open your eyes to new things. Like, I played a homeless character 
in one show, you know, and I had no idea how, you know, hard it was. Yeah. You know, to actually get into it, you know. Who's your top three actors of all time? Oh, man. I have a really hard time when I get asked questions like that because <laughs> uh, I, you know, it, it, it changes so often. It depends on where I am in my, um, where I am in my life right now. Um, you know, some people whose work I have admired, I think, you know, Tilda Swinton has done some amazing stuff and um, Kristen Scott Thomas has done some amazing stuff. Um, and it's, of course, it's different if you're seeing people on stage and if you're seeing them on screen. So, um yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a hard thing. And and the other thing is that, you know, when you're watching as an actor, when you're watching someone's work, um, so often I find myself. I had a friend who used to say, "You either do theater or you go to the theater," and I think it's really easy when you're um, an actor to. Uh, be watching someone's work and then get caught up in, oh my God, how is she doing that? How is he doing it? And um, you distance yourself from the actual story because you're so in awe of what somebody is doing. So um, the story, when the story is really compelling, I think that's, you know, whoever is um, allowing me to... um, forget about the fact that I'm watching a TV show or yeah. a, uh, a film and I'm simply having the experience of it, you know, that's, you know, that's really extraordinary work. And that often depends upon what's going on in my life, what the subject matter is. You know? So um, I've, um, I've said to students oftentimes that everybody has one great role. I mean, like Oscar quality, uh, role in them, but it's finding the um, the right script, the right director, you know, being uh, at the right point in your life, and people who work um, consistently, you know, over and over and over again, and are doing stuff that is um, transformative. Those are the people that I find um, really compelling to watch. So. Yes. At what point in your life did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, what? where were you? Well, I, it's it's not, it wasn't, uh, oh, the light went on and suddenly I thought I want to be an actor. And <laughs> people say that sometimes. It was like, duh. And I realized I wanted to be an actor. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't had an experience like that. Um, when I was really young, uh, I loved being in front of people and I loved saying words in front of people. And I can remember even from the time I was a child, I loved that. And um, I took dance lessons when I was a kid because I had flat feet and yeah. it was supposed to help my feet. And that was great, but I had a back injury. And then uh, I didn't get that for a while, but um, there was still that love of being totally engaged in something i was always a good student but man sitting at a desk or sitting there and working on stuff was just like so hard so when i was able to be up and involved 
it was so much more gratifying and, and engaging for me. So um, I got to do some musicals in high school, and that was like great, but it was always like, yeah, this is kind of cool, but it's not what I'll really do. And then I went to college, you know, the expectation of being, oh, pre-med, pre-law major, and that just wasn't going to happen. Plus, the time... We're in the middle of the Vietnam War, and I was at a very left-leaning college that was very politically active, and that's what seemed important. You know, doing plays just didn't seem that important. Yeah. Then I got cast in a show that was called Viet Rock uh, by Megan Terry, and the play was a transformational piece where we as actors played uh, American soldiers, we played their families, we played Vietnamese people. So we got to play a lot of different roles. And at the end of the play, we actually went out into the audience and, if you can believe it, touched people and said, hey, we are alive. We're, you know, this, these are real people that we're embodying here on stage. And I was hooked. By that point, I was hooked. But I was always aware of the fact that you could really be hooked and really want to do something and um, not get the opportunity. So uh, I had no idea what direction this love of theater would take me. I went on to graduate school in acting um, and it was all about theater because I was in Cleveland, Ohio and whoever thought about doing film work in Cleveland, Ohio in the middle of or on the tail end of the Vietnam War. So it wasn't until I came to Dallas um, for a teaching job and some family reasons um, that there was the opportunity to have an agent and to begin to audition for projects that were not only theater projects, but that were television and films. So um, I think by that time I was realizing, you know, I'm not going to do a career change. I've, been, I've devoted a lot of years to this. So this looks like what I'm going to be doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, you know, and I was fortunate for one thing to lead to another and another. But um, I don't think that there's a day that goes by when I don't question what I'm doing and whether or not it's important. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I think it's, I think it's a good thing for me to go, is this acting thing? Is this actor teaching thing? Is this something that, um, I really need to be doing? Is there something better I can be doing? And I was on a, um, um, a YouTube video, uh, meeting that SAG-AFTRA was hosting the other day and, the people on the panel were all um, um, people of color. I, I, I think they were all black SAG-AFTRA members. So this is the Film Television Actors Union. And um, they were talking about um, the difficulties they had in their career as actors of color, whether it was about the hair they had and people's inability to deal with it or their makeup or being told by somebody, oh, don't worry about this. We have an urban dictionary and we'll make sure that you're talking the way an urban black person would really talk. So they have all these horror stories about being an actor of color. And um, one of the panelists said, um, when young people approach me, young actors of color approach me and say, 
so, you know, is this something I should be doing? And um, she said, I tell them, we need people on the screen that look like you. We need heroes in the media. So, yes, this is an important career. And that's the kind of thing that was never said to me as an actor. Now, I'm a Caucasian actor. I'm not an actor of color. But at this point in my, age, in my life, I'm, uh, I'm an old I'm actor. An old actor. And I think it's important for us to see women, but also women who are over 60 yes. in roles where they're not dying or demented. I mean, I don't want to play another dying, demented person. I mean, <laughs> unless she's got something else going on. Yeah. It makes her story important. So that's my hope that, um, that I will be able to as an older woman, be able to create characters, tell stories that remind people that you are valuable at all ages and stages of your life. And um, uh, if you are over 60 or whatever, then there are still things that you have to experience and that you have to contribute to life. So yes. uh, that's my hope at this point, Jonathan. Yeah, and I've always thought that myself. The, see, I always said the beautiful thing about acting is you don't have to be, you know, like if you're going to be a wrestler, you have to have a certain look. But when it comes to acting, you don't have, you know, I always figured there's going to be a role. Somebody's going to have a baby. They're going to need a three-month-old kid. Somebody's going to have a grandmother or a grandfather, you know. Right. It's, it's yeah. a business where anybody can and should, you know, be able to work. Now, that's a, that's a great way to think about it. That's great. Yeah. Now, what's your top three movies? Uh, top three movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, oh, again, um, this is not a question that is uh, easier, even possible for me to answer. But <laughs> I was just, I, I, I was thinking about this because I, I, I did a uh, an interview the other day, and I it was for a pop culture. Um, blog, and I thought, well, you know, maybe this is something they would want to hear. And what I love are movies that really uh, create uh, a whole other world that I'm able to enter into. And um, I, just yeah. off the top of my head, the two that came to mind, one was The Shape of Water, which I absolutely loved. Um, have you seen that? Do you know The Shape of Water? Yes, beautiful. Uh, Del Toro is one of my favorite directors, but beautiful yeah. movie. I mean, I just love that film uh, because it's a story of hope and magic. It's just a whole different world that he's created. And another mm -hmm. film that I saw that I really loved was Mudbound. Have you seen Mudbound? No, I haven't. Uh, Oh man, it's uh, it's a film for people to watch uh, at this moment in our history. Um, it came out on I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon Prime, but it was streaming um, debuted last year, and it got into some of the award considerations. Um, but it's uh, the story of uh, a white family and a black family. They're linked because the black family share crops on. Um, the white family's land and uh, two, uh, a young man from each of the families goes off to fight in the Second World War. They come back 
and their experiences are so different. So it's just an amazing story, fantastic performances. Um, and it's been one of the most engrossing things I've seen in a long time. So um, those two are really at the top of my list. And then usually it's the last thing that I saw. Oh, my God, that was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Doturo is an amazing, amazing director. Have you seen uh, Hans Labyrinth? Yeah, but it's been a long time. That that's a film that takes some really dark twists. Yeah, if I can remember. Yeah, a minute. Um, now I was telling my friend two types of uh, there's two types of directors. There's the director that you know doesn't really care about the script and then there's the directors like you that really you know hones the words wants you to hit the words at the heart and wants you to follow it you uh choose that path of directing well i um i i think i have a tremendous respect for writers Mm -hmm. Uh, writers are kind of the you know, in this crazy world, sometimes you sell your screenplay, for instance, and then, you know, you're out of there. I mean, and <laughs> uh, your contract might even be that you relinquish any kind of right to make changes in the script. And I've been involved with enough projects where, you know, somebody else came in and somebody else came in and somebody else came in. Um, and that also when you're on a film set, oftentimes it's like, well, how would you say it? You know, put it in your own words. Um, and part of that is the nature of the medium where you're often so close um, in terms of the shot that if a line someone speaks, and of course this is our job as actors to make sure this doesn't happen, but if a line comes out of your mouth and it doesn't sound like something that you might actually be thinking and speaking, it's like, oh, I don't believe that. That's like, that person would never say that. Um, so there's a there's oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes a very different respect for or um, appreciation of uh, what uh, the role of text is in a film. A lot of people still think that it's primarily a visual medium, but then you will work with somebody who is right there. Maybe the director is also the writer. So when you're working on that film, they are very particular about that. The film that I, um, that I um, shot a couple of years ago, that's just now getting a lot of play, the vast of night, um, the director under another name was also one of the writers. And we spent a couple of days um, working on that script, I mean, reading it, and does this sound right, and oh, we need to change that, or cut this, or whatever, and this is a film where there is one of the lead characters never even is seen on screen. It's all voiceover. He's a caller who phones into a radio station, wow. and in fact, my scene, the one scene that I have that goes on forever, uh, it's all my well virtually all my telling this story so um the director really wants people to lean in to the film to lean into the screen and really listen at some point the screen goes totally black and you only hear the voice of the man on the phone so that's one kind of an experience and maybe for one kind of audience person but today 
when words are getting thrown around, you know, like, you know, confetti or stones, to realize the power of words, I think is so important. Now, when you're working on stage, you're often doing a play that has been copyrighted. Uh, you have signed a contract which says you will do this play as it is written. I mean, that's part of your legal contract with a company who's representing the playwright. So technically, you're locked into that. And in fact, there have been occasions that I know of where somebody's messed with a playwright's words and they've closed down the production. So that's possible. When you're going into a film, that script has oftentimes never been shot before, never been seen before. So there, there is a, um, a looser relationship to the text sometimes. If this isn't working, then we'll change it. Um, so because my directing work has been primarily on stage, there is that respect for language. Um, and that sense of this is my job, this is what we signed on to do. But as an actor, I think that words are such important tools. And, you know, there was that that um, saying that went around years ago, you are what you eat. Well, you are what you speak, you know, you are, you are what you think and then speak. And um, so it seems to me it's important for actors to be aware of that and to give the audience an opportunity to um, to see, to experience people who are transformed and created by their words. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, things I'm doing right now is this, uh, some workshops in the work of um, Rudolf Steiner, and um, his work b- became um, what's now called Eurythmy. And, you know, the, I did a master class with a teacher the other day, and she was talking about words as being living beings, and that what we do as um, actors, well, as anybody speaking language, is to have the opportunity to engage with that living being that is a word now that's kind of weird for some people but for me as somebody who's just been in a film that's about aliens the whole thought of words as being living beings that you honor and engage with is really interesting so yeah um, and i find so, it and that leads somewhere yeah and i find it funny you say that because i've been reading the law of attraction and I've been, you know, studying, you know, the laws of the universe. And that's actually one of the laws, like your words are some of the most powerful things, like whatever you speak will become sooner or later if you keep on speaking it, you know? Yeah. 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 And and like the way I look at it, um, it's definitely more of a challenge as far because I was interviewing this other person and they had a whole nother outlook. They said that they think it's lazy not to stick to the script because it's so easy for you to make it your own, you know, and put your own self into it. But it's actually harder and more of a challenge to put your own self as well as stick to the script for some people. Right. Well, I mean, that's really interesting. And I can understand why somebody would say that. But I think that different roles, 
different situations will require different things. I've been on a uh, on a set where the director said, mm, "What I wrote was simply an outline, you know. Mm-hmm. So please feel free to go ahead and you know say what you would say." So that's either a writer who really trusts actors, yeah, or it's a writer who just you know, maybe the writer is lazy and maybe the writer hasn't gotten around to it. Yeah, and, and it's also like uh, sen- uh, seniority too, like how long have you been doing it? Because I was looking at uh, a Raven Simone interview because she produces and directs her uh, spinoff now. And she says she doesn't allow improv. She said, you're not ready. You haven't been doing it long enough to actually know and to actually catch. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And there is a lot, like, most like most people don't understand, like, channels like CW, yes, they might let you improv here or there. But Nickelodeon, Disney, like, they will not, they will stop the set. Do it again. That's not in the script, you know? Right. Well, and there are reasons for that. I mean, sometimes if there is a message yeah. that they're trying to get out, or if, well, we can't say that word, or that's not correct uh, grammatically, or, ooh, that's a little bit, people could take that the wrong way. So sometimes there's such uh, clear messaging required that you better stay on the script or you're not going to be given the message out. <laughs> it's yeah. like doing a commercial. I mean, you don't improvise a commercial. It's only going to be like 10 or so seconds long and we've got to get these points in there. So you better do it. If you're doing Shakespeare, you're not going to be improvising Shakespeare. You know, because... I, don't, I don't think anybody could improvise <laughs> Shakespeare. <laughs> well, if you forget your lines sometimes, you might have to do that. <laughs> you know, that would be... That, that, you, you would have to be a very well-seasoned actor to do that one. <laughs> because this whole language is different. have you ever looked at a movie or a tv show and saw a role and you were like dang i wish that role was for me oh um i'm at the point now where anytime i see an actress who's over you do something i go oh my god i wonder if i could do that but i'll tell you what's happened jonathan uh as i get older and i don't know if this is wisdom or uh, an increasing sense of harmony with the universe or gratitude for what I've uh, already um, been given. But um, I have a greater appreciation for, yeah, you know, that was the right person for that role. Um, When I was younger, it was like, I could have done that role. I could have done that role. I could have done that role. Yeah. Having been on the other side of that, having been the one who's casting a show, um, I've oftentimes now experienced, yeah, you know, I really like this actor. This actor's done great work in class, but, you know, this person is really better for the role. And it might be um, it might be a physical thing. This person is taller, and this character needs to be taller, or this person is more muscular, or um, this person has uh, a kind of edginess about him or her, or this person has an easier sense. Um, I'm, I just appreciate that. And understand that uh, more than I did when I was younger. I had a friend I did a show with. um, It was my first equity show. 
on the verge of stage west in Dallas. And um, it was Sharon Ulrich who had been in the last picture show, um, which was uh, a huge hit when I was um, in, I guess, in college. And she said, you know, there's enough work for everybody. You know, you have to trust that and just know that. It may not, might, may not be all the work you want to do, but there's enough work for everybody. And it's easy to forget that and to go, mine, mine, mine. But um, I'm, I, I, I believe that. I believe that the role that is yours will come to you or you will find it. And if the role is not here right now, then go do something else that grows your soul or your mind or your heart or your body now. Yes. So you're ready when that role comes along. Absolutely. Now, what got you in the musical theater? Uh, well, I haven't done much musical theater. Uh, no, actually, no, no. I, I mean, like the love of it. What draws you to it? Um, well, I, I think it's the, um, some of the things we talked about before, the intensity of the experience of theater, um, the ability to, because you're there 100%, you're there in your body, you're there in your mind, you're there in your heart, you're there in your spirit, uh, you just get to jump into it and the ability to transform. And there's another part of it that I think is about wanting Believing that you have energy that you can radiate out and gift to the world and that the energy that you have is something um, that may serve someone or affect someone in a positive way, um, that someone will applaud or smile or gasp or gag, but in some way be affected by what you're doing. So, yeah. I think I think that's I mean that's what's kept me at it. And then as a director, um, you know, to know that you can create something that transforms the lives of the people who are with whom you're, but also hopefully with the lives of the people um, who are seeing it. That's um, that's very powerful. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, that's why we do it. I mean, after all, I know that's why I do it. It's to provoke emotion. You know, I don't want you to go see a movie or a show or, you know, a play I'm in and leave the same way. Right. You know? Yeah. Coming out the other side changed in some way is, I think, really important. Yeah. What made you want to teach? Uh, I've always, that's, that's so weird because I, I mean, I've always um, even played at teaching. When I was a kid, um, I lived uh, back east in Jersey and we had a basement in our house. We don't have those around here. Uh, but my dad uh, made a blackboard for me. Uh, in the basement, an old piece of wood, and he painted it, whatever, and he made it into a blackboard. And I would go down there and play teacher, you know, with my imaginary friends or with my dolls or whatever. And somehow that was always something that I did. And I, why, why, where did that come from? I, I, I can still remember the names of my elementary school teachers. You know, Miss mm -hmm. Jenkins, Miss Lunger, Miss McManus, Miss Daly. You know, I can still remember them because they had a profound effect on my life. They were 
until I was in the eighth grade, they were all women. And they were all women who were smart and strong and sometimes traveled. Some of them were married, some of them weren't, but they were uh, they dressed nicely, they spoke well, they could play the piano oftentimes. They were amazing women. Um, and uh, I, I think I just always had it in my head that it would be great fun uh, and important to be a part of that club. Um, when I went to college, I uh, taught a movement class. When I was in grad school, I taught an acting class. Uh, I suppose at some point it was also, you know, I can get paid to do this. And I, yeah. <laughs> that probably helped. But it's something that I had been doing uh, for years. And for me also, when I have to work to figure out how I'm going to present something to someone, how I'm going to talk about it or give people an experience of it, it really challenges me to explore how I do it. So um, it's been very important for me to always, if I'm going to be teaching, to make sure I'm still acting, whether it's on film or it's on stage. Uh, because I've always felt like you got to put your money where your mouth is. And if you can't get up there and do it, then how the heck can you talk about it to me? So that's always been a very interesting dialogue for me to have uh, the actor Gail and the teacher Gail. Yes. Now, as far as theater versus acting goes, because I know you've dabbled in both, how are they different from each other? Well, working on stage is um, when you get cast in a show, you really become a part of a community. Um, and it can be a small community, a cast of two, or it can be larger, but you live um, shoulder to shoulder with those people for several weeks while you're preparing. And the rehearsal that you go to every day or six days a week, the discussions that you have, the um, conditions under which you're working, the theater that's too cold or too hot or the bathroom isn't working today or whatever. Um, and then when you get to tech week, the exhaustion that you go through, uh, and then there's the exhilaration of opening. So it's an amazing community that gets built. And then once you have the show up, you come back and you play it again and again and again. So it becomes like a family for you. Um, yes. When you're working on film, it's often uh, most of your creative work is done on your own. It's the preparation for the um, audition, whatever research that is, or character development and creation. And then you might come in uh, without any rehearsal and um, go into makeup, do your wardrobe, do your contract, stay in your trailer, and then finally go on set for a rehearsal which is about, okay, you're going to be standing here, sitting there, moving there. Okay, we need to move the light, move this uh, set piece, move whatever. Okay, now go back and finish getting ready. And then you come and you shoot it. And you might be in and out in a day. Um, or you yeah. might have a couple of days, but you don't know the whole process. Also because film is shot out of order. 
you don't know. I mean, fortunately, today we usually get to read the whole script, but you, it's difficult to have a connection to the whole process. And um, when you see the final film, I mean, there were a lot of films earlier in my career I never got to see because I couldn't go to L.A. to, to a premiere or I wasn't invited to a premiere or it wasn't available in the movie theater where I was living. And I never saw these things until they came out on, you know, DVDs years later. Um, so it's a very different experience. I've even gone to a film premiere and found out that my scene was cut once I was there. <laughs> so wow. That's a, that's a really different kind of experience. <laughs> it's not it's not always that strange but it can be um so I've, I've heard so many actors talk about you know this is the first time that i've ever been coming back to set day after day after day and you and enjoy the process rather than okay i've got one scene and i better make it really great because that's my only chance no, which can really create a not very um, easy, relaxing, creative environment. Yeah. And also uh, with theater, you, with, with acting, the camera is just right there. So you can talk, you know, normal. But with theater, you kind of have to project. And it's kind of like uh, over, you know, you have to make up for that. You know, you have to act to where the people in the back can uh, see you as well. Well, and there are people who say, you know, acting, <clears throat> acting, you know, quietly is easy. <clears throat> but when you have to act to project, that's really hard. Uh, the interesting thing, Jonathan, is there are some people who feel much more comfortable on stage when they get to operate, to express, to expand um, in this kind of larger than life way or this expanded way. And that working on film feels very self-conscious or oh my god they're seeing me and for other actors working on film is the easiest thing in the world or a much easier thing anyway and on stage oh no way i find it interesting to move between the two media because every time i work on a film set i find something that i can take back to my work on stage and vice versa i mean you do when you're working on stage <clears throat> get to live with a character for several weeks and um, that can be extremely interesting stuff is revealed to you um, somewhere in the process that you didn't know earlier where when you're working on film oftentimes it's like come in with your choices made now don't change it when we shoot it because I really like that so sometimes yeah. you have to really get there fast when you're working in front of the camera yeah describe your acting style Oh, describe my acting style. Like, are you a method actor? Are oh, you well, that, yeah. So that, <laughs> <laughs> so about 10 years ago, um, I um, had, um, it, maybe it's longer than that, but uh, I had um, a transformational workshop with a woman named Lisa Dalton, who is a Michael Chekhov technique um, actor and teacher and head of the National Michael Chekhov Association. And um, what Lisa was presenting, it's the work of uh, Michael Chekhov, who was Russian born and spent his final years uh, in Hollywood, actually, teaching and acting. Um, what um, 
that approach is is uh, it's it's a psychophysical approach to acting, which means you work with your mind and your body, the thinking, the feeling, and the willing, the doing self, and that it um, uh, encourages us to transform when we work as actors and it gives you tools these are some things you can do to accomplish those goals and so much of actor training that i've experienced had a kind of um mystical thing well i don't know what good acting is but i'll know it when i see it or oh i don't believe that what do you mean you don't believe it you don't believe it because it's not your experience? What, and um, nobody would ever do that. Well, but this character does it. So, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of strange thoughts and conversations with people about that. And the Chekhov work um, gave me some tools to really trust um, myself when I didn't know what was going on with the character, to know that there were things that I could do that would open up my imagination. Because that's the other thing that the checkup work does. It allows you, it encourages you to work from your imagination and not think you have to work from yourself only. And um, a lot of um, uh, current acting approaches are very much about that. Stop acting, don't act, just show up, be the authentic you. Well, I mean, I don't know what that means. Um, we <laughs> change on a daily basis. And yes. um, I, I don't know what the authentic me is. What I've come to believe people are talking about when they say authentic is, if you come to your work with a sense of ease, that is, you are working with only the amount of energy that you need to do what you do. And your mind and feeling self and physical self are all present. Then it's, it's truthful, okay? When you're working harder than you need to or you're watching yourself or you're not present in some way, uh, you're withholding as the actor, not the character. That's when you will not be believed because you show up on stage, not just as the character, but as the actor watching whether or not he or she is creating a character who is believable. Um, so with all the years of work that I've done, I'm sure now that my approach to a character is quite eclectic. There are all kinds of things that I'm bringing to work. And there's a man named Patrick Tucker, um, who is a TV and uh, theatrical director. And he says, good acting is whatever works. And I think that's a very pragmatic way to think about it. What is my job here? What do I have to do as the actor? And do I trust my imagination? Do I open myself up to the universe and allow myself to be inspired? Do I go, okay, this is somebody whose whole body is a fist and every once in a while that fist opens up and punches someone? Is this a character that I know solely because of the way he or she speaks and the way this character speaks is what uh, opens up the door to that person to me? So um, I think there are so many ways of approaching it. And generally, when I read a script, I have a sense of what might be helpful to me, what might be the best way for me to approach this. And one of my 
big things is always the words and what those words begin to conjure up in me, what they begin to make me uh, imagine. So what we call images. And those images will transform my thinking, my feeling, my way of standing. And then there are things that are uh, great questions to ask and answer um, when you're dealing with a character in a particular situation. Who are the other characters or objects in it? And what's my relationship to those people? What do I think, feel about this person, this thing? What am I trying to do in this scene? And it may be something as simple, I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing in the scene. And that's what a character can be doing. I don't know what I'm doing in my life right now. Help me figure out what I'm doing. And then there's always what happens just before the scene occurs. So those three questions are really, um, I think, so helpful in beginning to find your way into a character. And then, of course, there's the magic that happens after you've done all this work on the text and asking questions about the character. When you go on to the set or the stage and you're working off another person and suddenly you have to get out of your head and into the space around you Uh, including maybe most critically the person or persons who are there. So um, it's a lot of things. And I think the more tools you have in your toolkit, Jonathan, the better able you are to look at that and go, Hmm, you know, I need this tool now to approach this character. If this character is going to have a Southern accent, you know, it's going to be Southern dialect. Very different than if it's somebody who comes from, you know, Boston or from New York or from Pittsburgh. It's going to be very, very different. So, uh, or costume, you know, they put you in a costume, they wig you. And it's like, oh my God, my whole head is different. My whole body is different because I've got this weird wig on. So, (laughs) there are just so many things. So, I think you have to be ready. um, And by ready, I mean having explored these tools. That when you're presented with something that you have to build, you go, oh, I got this tool I can use. Let me try this. This is what this is what is going to work right now. Or this is what I'm going to try right now. So. Yeah. Um, have, was there ever a character you played and you had difficulty playing that character? Um. Well, I mean, difficulty can be mean a lot of things. I mean, it can mean, oh, my God. Well, well, I mean, like, you had trouble getting into character or connecting with it. Well, I I, I don't... I think there have been a number of times when I've been asked to do something that I went, I don't get this. I just don't get this. I, I don't get it because it's maybe not the way that I had imagined the character, but the director does. So there was this huge challenge to accept what the director was giving me. And if I didn't want to lose the job, I had to commit to that. So, and that might be about a costume. It might be, I mean, I was asked to show I did years ago to have great big breasts. And I went, well, I just don't get this. What is this about? But, you know, you kind of go, all right, so let me say yes to this, which we're told as actors, and see where this takes me. Um, I don't, I I think sometimes it takes longer than others. But again, this is where 
the words come in, Jonathan, that if you know at some point you're going to speak those words and you're going to have them memorized and they're going to be in your bones, that you always have that to rely on. You know, and that's that's such a um, that's such a help. You know, it's great to have that foundation. There have been characters that I've looked at and gone, what? I don't know what to do with this. Um, but if I kept reading it and listening to the script and imagining it, eventually something shook up. And um, sometimes it's like, you know, it would be really fun. <laughs> oh, you know, I've looked around and I've seen, oh, this character is doing this and this character is doing that. So maybe if I do this, that's what the scene needs for me to be doing this because that's going to make the story more interesting um, or more clear. Yes. Now, what advice would you have for somebody? Because I, I actually took your advice. I remember in one class you were saying get a group together and, um, you know, just get a bunch of scripts and start practicing reading them. I actually <laughs> did that over quarantine because there was literally, you know, there was, yeah, like I felt like there was literally at one point, nothing else to do. I was staring. I couldn't go out of the house. Mm -hmm. I was staring at a wall. I was like, let me practice my craft a little bit. So what right. advice would you give a young person that wants to, like, sharpen their craft as a, you know, an actor or, like, a, or wants to get advice on how to do film auditions or, you know, or somebody that's, you know, right. haven't done it before? Well, a, a, a couple of things, uh, and these are maybe more general, but one is grow where you're planted. So if you find yourself in Dallas right now or in Dubuque or Denton or wherever, and you're in lockdown because we're in quarantine, what is at your disposal? What, what can you do? So there's so many classes on zoom and some of them are classes and some of them are like let me tell you about what i did when i was an actor <laughs> so but there are resources that you can get there are films you can watch what are people what are the performances that i'm responding to what's the kind of work i want to be doing so i, I think that Grow where you're planted. And that may mean doing just what you did, Jonathan, and getting a group of people together to read scripts over Zoom. I mean, we're going to do a Zoom thing. Yeah. Um, classes. Check out the classes. And I always advise people, it's hard now, but you can still Zoom it, to observe a class, to get a sense of what the vibe is there. Who are these people? What's the atmosphere of the class? Are people glad to be there? Are there a lot of people missing? Why aren't people here? Uh, talk with the instructor because there are people who are wonderful and there are people whose style will not jive with you. So you need to be careful about that. Um, so grow where you're planted. And the other thing is dream big, but at the same time, be realistic. If you're here, you can um, eventually get an agent here be working with independent filmmakers here. Uh, what I would say to people right now is get skills that go beyond your acting skills. So get yourself into a video production class. Learn a lot about being a script supervisor yes. or a DP or an editor so that you are in hyph a hyphenate. So you become important to people. 
if you only ever act, you will know about those other people's jobs, and that will help you do better at doing your job. Exactly. Um, so, you know, do that, but then also be looking. So what's going on in the world around me? Is, am, is this the place for me to be growing? Do I need to go to school? Do I need to go off to another place? So there's a certain amount of research that's got to go on at the same time that you are growing where you're planting, planted and doing everything you can right where you are. So that's an interesting balance, I think. And the other thing is you have to be patient. Um, um, the, um, the uh, Well, it's a claim. The, the very positive words I'm getting about uh, the vast of night is something that has come after, you know, 40 plus years in the film TV business, you know, 50 some years as an actor that it can sometimes take time. Yeah. Uh, and then there are times when you'll have to be bold and take a chance. I mean, there are things, times that I've taken a chance and there are times when I, you know, I really can't do that right now. That's not going to work for me. So, um, and having, I think, um, uh, a, um, some people <laughs> that you can talk to, what do you think about this? Uh, and that will be your acting coach, some teachers, maybe some directors, your actors, headshot photographers, who are the people that you, um, can, uh, bounce stuff off of and learn from by talking that's important to words again yeah yeah and i'm so glad you said that because i mean by any means see me personally i wanted to be well-rounded so you know i took dance classes you know right. I took theater classes i took voice over classes singing but uh and people stopped there people like okay i can sing act dance I'm well-rounded, but there's a whole other world as far as film and acting. You know, there's the set, there's the sound. I interviewed one guy, Todd Jenkins, and he actually got a part on um, Walker, Texas Ranger by being a stunt double. He's got a lot of parts by being an extra and, you know, working behind the scenes. Like, he'll be holding up a mic boom and they'll be like, okay, we need somebody for this. You look good for this role. Put that back, right. give it to somebody else and come over here. You know, because you you never know. Now, you said you were promoting something. What is it that you're uh, promoting right now? What are you doing right, right now? Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say one other thing about what you just said. The other thing to work on is your life. And um, I'm just remembering something that Brian Cranston said you know, the actor, um, the TV and stage actor. And uh, Brian Cranston said, um, the first thing you have to do is get your life in order. And I think that's really important. Uh, it gives you a good foundation. And that may be friends, that may be a relationship, that may be a dog. Yeah. <laughs> it could be any number of things. But if you don't have a life, you cease to have something to draw from yes. as an um, oh, and then the thing that I'm promoting. Okay, so I am here to promote The Vast of Night. The Vast of Night. It's streaming now on Amazon Prime. It comes free if you have Amazon Prime. 
Um, if you don't have it, then, you know, see if you can get it for a trial and check it out. It's uh, had tremendous success. It's a film that we shot uh, in 2016, fall of 2016. So it took a couple of years to get the whole thing edited and color corrected and all that. Um, but it was shot in Texas primarily. Some stuff was shot in Oklahoma, some in New Mexico. It's an Oklahoma filmmaker, Andrew Patterson. And it's a sci-fi film. Kind of, it kind of pay, um, um, is an homage to the Twilight Zone. And um, I have uh, a pivotal role in it in that I'm someone who knows what might be going on. Um, and... Um, it it was at um, Slam Dance, which is kind of the bastard um, stepbrother of Sundance Film Festival, <laughs> and uh, a year and a half ago. And then it started hitting all these festivals: Toronto, Edinburgh, Overlook, um, just I mean, all over the place. And I finally saw it last summer, uh, and it was like, whoa, this is really something interesting. Um, and then it was like, how do you get a distributor? It's so hard to get your film picked up. Yeah. And they managed to get a deal with Amazon. So Amazon bought it. It's now released as an Amazon original, even though it was produced by all these, um, created by, written by, shot by all these uh, local people with some amazing international talent. Uh, as in the um, um, people who did the sound for it and the people who, the guy who was the DP. Um, but it's, um, they premiered it because they couldn't have a theatrical premiere at the drive-in on uh, May 23rd, I think. And uh, I went to see it in the drive-in. It was spectacular. And then on the 29th of May, it dropped on um amazon and it just took off so there's all kinds of amazing press out there about it uh, i've had some amazing things said about my work which is so gratifying and a bit overwhelming so it's um the vast of night the vast of night so check it out nice uh, i'll be sure to do that to my, uh, you can go to my uh uh, webpage, gailcronauer.com, and I have a whole page of stuff about it and stuff on uh, at Gail Cronauer and hashtag Gail Cronauer. I'm posting a lot of stuff out there. Uh, and you can go to The Vast of Night and find a lot of stuff too. So, so many articles. The, there's some amazing interviews with a director, Andrew Patterson, um, that are just um, uh, so. Um, inspiring to use the word you mentioned earlier because of the thinking and passion uh, and craft that went into getting this film done so check him out andrew patterson yes now i heard you mention sag and i also mm -hmm. heard you mention equity uh is sag and equity the same thing no um, Actors Equity Association, AEA, is the Stage Actors Union, and SAG-AFTRA, those two unions have merged, Screen Actors Guild, SAG, and AFTRA, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, they've merged now, so it's SAG-AFTRA, and they are, uh, those uh, members are people who work 
in the broadcast medium. So it's film, it's TV, it's newscasters, it's actors you see, you know, in movies, actors you see, you know, on your screens at home. Um, so they're two different unions. They call them sister unions. Mm-hmm. And we attempt to um, honor one another's um, policies, uh, rules, um, and hopefully communicate in situations like the current quarantine uh, for how we will move forward to keep actors, sets, stages safe for people. Nice. Now, how does one become SAG? And is it worth becoming SAG in Texas? Or is it better to be a SAG actor than move somewhere like Atlanta or California? Well, I, I think there's a point in your career when you may decide, I want to join the union. Uh, you can be what's called SAG eligible, which means I have done, I was cast in a show, cast in a film or TV show that was SAG. Uh, and um, I wasn't at that point going to join the union because once you join the union, you are um, not supposed to do any non-union work. So you want to be at a place in your life where you have enough experience, enough credits that you can compete with other professional SAG after members. Uh, when you're first starting out, if you haven't had a lot of credits, if you don't have a demo reel, not a good idea. Because if you're SAG and you're not skillful uh, and prepared enough, then you won't be able to compete and you just won't work. So um, I think it's for each person to decide when they're going to go SAG. If um, working as uh, a film television actor is going to be your primary uh, goal, uh, or if you're at the point where you go, I only want to do productions that are going to be covered by these rules and regulations. I don't want to be on a set where it's dangerous or they want us to work 18 hours a day or blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, SAG really has, SAG after really has um, the best interests of its members at heart. That's what it wants to do, protect the workplace, provide health insurance, provide benefits, pensions, um, good working conditions for its member. So um, if you were going to head out of this market to LA, to Atlanta, then having your SAG card or being SAG eligible before you left might be a very good idea. You do have to pay an initiation to join the union. And a lot of people don't join because they don't have the money to pay the initiation fee. So uh, most people know when they're ready to do that. Now, Texas is a right to work state, which means they cannot force you to join the union. And there are a lot of people who just don't want to deal with the union. Maybe they had a bad experience years ago, or they're just trying to save some money, which usually isn't the way it works out. And so they will be non-union. And so there are some actors that go, you know, this is fine with me. Just want to work non-union. I don't have to pay dues on a basis. I don't have to pay initiation. I'm not really serious about this, so I'm just going to stay non-union. Uh, I think what happened for me was I got to a point in my life where I wanted to be recognized as someone who was a serious professional and that 
achieving union status by being cast in a project that was a union project said to me, I am a professional. And that was something that I aspired to. So I think it's a different journey for most, uh, for each person. I'm a big believer in the union. And uh, I think that when you have, like in Texas, when there is a significant population of union actors, it says to people, hey, Dallas is a place where there are pros and that attracts more work. So I think it's good for that reason as well. Yes. Now I heard you talk about an agent. Do you want to shout out any agents or do you have any agencies in mind that you think are good? Well, I'm uh, represented by the Campbell agency and I have been for several decades. So um, shout out to them. Um, if you uh, want to find out more about agencies in Dallas, you can contact SAG-AFTRA and ask about agencies. There's also a lot of information available online. Um, I don't remember, Jonathan, you took the TV film class with me, didn't you? Did you yes, we went to the agency of Dallas. And we went to the agency Dallas, which is now called Grit Talent. Uh, and that's been a great launch pad for a number of my students. But a relationship with an agent is um, a very personal thing. And I, I think it's important that the actor feels comfortable with the agent. Certain agents have certain kinds of people they feel they work better with. Um, sometimes it's like, oh, I just don't get a good vibe here. Or maybe the agent already has somebody who looks just like you you don't want to be there because that other person is always going to be submitted before you so um i think um if you're ready to um seek an age uh, agent's representation you have your headshots and your resume and you have some experience and now people even want a demo reel then get out there and Work to meet with as many people as you can. Check out their websites. Talk to other actors about their experience with this agent. See who else they're representing. Um, and what are your, your immediate plans and maybe even your long-term plans? And will this agent help you to accomplish them? Mm -hmm. Now, one last thing. For a mm -hmm. kid that wants to be an actor, that wants to go to L.A., what would be your advice to them? Well, don't go out there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, we don't know. We don't know how this whole thing um, with COVID is going to um, um, reveal itself, how it's going to unfurl. Um, we've gotten some communication, you know, how we are going to reopen the industry. But there's going to be a lot more casting from people's homes. That is, you're on a Zoom audition or you self-tape and submit it, which means you could live almost anywhere. Now, the travel issue is going to be a big one. Um, if our um, experience with the virus continues as it is, people from Texas are not going to be welcome in certain states. Um, New York and New Jersey and Connecticut are already saying, if you're coming from states 
where the virus infection rates are high, like Florida, Texas, Arizona, if you come here, you have to quarantine for two weeks before uh, going out onto a set or anything else. So how is that going to affect what's going on? Are people going to want to travel? If they're not going to want to travel, then there are going to be pockets of production. And of course, one of those will be um, in the California area. Um, I was on a Zoom call a couple weeks ago, and there are a number of people who have moved from New York, especially, to Texas, specifically the Austin area, because they needed to get out of the city. They needed to be somewhere where there was space and a different kind of lifestyle. So it may very well be that Texas, Oklahoma now is doing this, that we become a production center. So before anybody thinks about packing up and going to L.A., I'd say be here, work on your skills, see what's going on here before you make the move. I mean, it may really change how much work is being shot here in the area. And by that, I mean Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, New Mexico has already become a bedroom community for California, so it's kind of in a different place. There's filmmaking going on in Arkansas right now. There's filmmaking in Louisiana. There's filmmaking, of course, as you mentioned, in Atlanta. So um, I think people are going to be have to look at what's going on here, what's going on there. Is the kind of stuff that's being shot there the kind of stuff I want to do, the kind of thing I might be cast as? And then make those choices. So I would make sure you explore all your options here, even if it's about building bridges from here to there before you cross that bridge and head out of town. Yes, yes. Well, this has been a very inspiring and intellectual interview. I've learned a lot. (laughs) So I can imagine what the listeners are going to (laughs) learn. Well, thank you, Jonathan. It was great talking to you. I'm so glad you're doing this. I, I mean, this is another example of someone going, what can I do? And how can I uh, work creatively? How can I impact my community? Yeah. How can I meet some people who might hire me? I mean, this is great, Jonathan. Yeah, you know, because one thing I've learned is that if you are a real artist and a real creator, you have to create. You know, I was like, Hollywood is shut down. They're not doing any shows. Mm-hmm. You know, what can I? Because you'll hurt yourself holding it in. You know? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, thank you for having me and thank you for teaching and giving the advice that you did. They're real gems. You're very welcome. I look forward to hearing the podcast. Me too. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye, Jonathan.